Book two, chapter five of the crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five. I meet an old bedfellow. I shall burden no one with the dry chronicles of a law office. The acquirement of learning is a slow process in life, and perchance a slower one in the telling. I lacked not application during the three years of my stay in Richmond, and to earn a living I worked at such odd tasks as came my way. The judge resembled Major Colfax in but one trait. He was choleric. But he was painstaking and cautious, and I soon found out that he looked askance upon anyone whom his nephew might recommend. I liked the major, but he vowed him to be a roisterer and spendthrift and one day some months after my advent the judge asked me flatly how i came to fall in with major colfax i told him at the end of this conversation he took my breath away by bidding me come to live with him like many lawyers of that time he had a little house in one corner of his grounds for his office it stood under great spreading trees and there i was wont to sit through many a summer day wrestling with the authorities in the evenings we would have political arguments for the confederacy was in a seething state between the federalists and the republicans over the new constitution now ratified between the federalists and the jacobines i would better say for the virulence of the french revolution was soon to be reflected among the parties of our side kentucky swelled into an unmanageable territory was come near to rebellion because the government was not strong enough to wrest from spain the free navigation of the mississippi and yet i yearned to go back and looked forward eagerly to the time when i should have stored enough in my head to gain admission to the bar i was therefore greatly embarrassed when my examinations came by an offer from judge wentworth to stay in richmond and help him with his practice it was an offer not to be lightly set aside and yet i had made up my mind he flew into a passion because of my desire to return to a wild country of outlaws and vagabonds why damn me he cried kentucky and this pretty state of franklin which desired to chip off from north carolina are traitorous places disloyal to congress intriguing with a spanish minister and the spanish governor of louisiana to secede from their own people and join the king of spain bah he exclaimed if our new federal constitution is adopted i would hang jack sevier of franklin and your kentuckian wilkinson to the highest trees west of the mountains i can see the little gentleman as he spoke his black broadcloth coat and his lace ruffles his hand clutching the gold head of his cane his face screwed up with indignation under his white wig it was on a sunday and he was standing by the lilac bushes on the lawn in front of his square brick house david said he more calmly i trust i've taught you something besides the law i trust i've taught you that a strong federal government alone will be the salvation of our country you cannot blame kentucky greatly sir said i feeling that i must stand up for my friends the federal government has done little enough for its people and treated them to a deal of neglect they won that western country for themselves with no federal nor virginia or north carolina troops to help them no man east of the mountains knows what that fight has been 
no man east of the mountains knows the horror of that indian warfare this government gives them no protection now nay congress cannot even procure for them an outlet for their commerce they must trade or perish spain closes the mississippi arrests our merchants seizes their goods and often throws them into prison no wonder they scorn the congress as weak and impotent the judge stared at me aghast it was the first time i had dared oppose him on this subject what he sputtered what you are a separatist you whom i have received into the bosom of my family seizing the cane at the middle he brandished it in my face don't misunderstand me sir said i you've given me books to read and you've taught me what may be the destiny of our nation on this continent but you must forgive a people whose lives have been spent in a fierce struggle for their homes whose families have nearly all lost some member by massacre who are separated by hundreds of miles of wilderness from you he looked at me speechless and turned and walked into the house i thought i had sinned past forgiveness and i was beyond description uncomfortable for he had been like a parent to me but the next morning at half after seven he walked into the little office and laid down some gold pieces on my table gold was very scarce in those days there for your journey david said he my only comfort in your going back is that you may grow up to put some temperance into their wild heads i have a commission for you at jonesboro in what was once the unspeakable state of franklin you can stop there on your way to kentucky he drew from his pocket a great bulky letter addressed to thomas wright esq barrister at law in jonesboro north carolina for the good gentleman could not bring himself to write franklin it was late in september of the year seventeen eighty eight when i set out on my homeward way for kentucky was home to me i was going back to polly ann and tom and visions of that homecoming rose before my eyes as i rode in a packet in my saddlebags were some dozen letters which mr wren the schoolmaster at harrodstown had writ at polly ann's bidding i have the letters yet for mr wren was plainly an artist and had set down on the paper the words just as they had flowed from her heart ay and there was news in the letters though not surprising news among those pioneer families whom god blessed so abundantly since david ritchie mcchesney i mention the name with pride had risen above the necessities of a bark cradle two more had succeeded him a brother and a sister i spurred my horse onward and thought impatiently of the wary leagues between my family and me i have often pictured myself on that journey i was twenty-one years of age though one would have called me older my looks were nothing to boast of and i was grown up tall and weedy so that i must have been quite a comical sight with my long legs dangling on either side of the pony i wore a suit of gray homespun and in my saddle-bags i carried four precious law-books the stock in trade which my generous patron had given me but as i mounted the slopes of the mountains my spirits rose too at the prospect of the life before me 
The woods were all aflame with color, with wine and amber and gold, and the hills wore the misty mantle of shadowy blue so dear to my youthful memory. As I left the rude taverns of a morning and jogged along the heights, I watched the vapors rise and roll away from the valleys far beneath, and saw great flocks of ducks and swans and cackling geese darkening the air in their southward flight strange that i fell in with no company for the trail leading into the tennessee country was widened and broadened beyond belief and everywhere i came upon blackened fires and abandoned lean-tos and refuse bones gnawed by the wolves and bleached by the weather i slept in some of these lean-tos with my fire going brightly indifferent to the howl of wolves in chase or the scream of a panther pouncing on its prey for i was born of the wilderness it had no terrors for me nor did i ever feel alone the great cliffs with their clinging gnarled trees the vast mountains clothed in the motley colors of the autumn the sweet and smoky smell of the indian summer all were dear to me as i drew near to jonesboro my thoughts began to dwell upon that strange and fascinating man who had entertained polly ann and tom and me so lavishly on our way to kentucky captain john sevier for he had made a great noise in the world since then and the wrath of such men as my late patron was heavy upon him yes john sevier nalachucky jack had been a king in all but name since i had seen him the head of such principality as stirred the blood to read about it comprised the watauga settlement among the mountains of what is now tennessee and was called prosaically as is the wont of the anglo-saxon the free state of franklin there were certain conservative and unimaginative souls in this mountain principality who for various reasons held their old allegiance to the state of north carolina one colonel tipton led these loyalist forces and armed partisans of either side had for some years ridden up and down the length of the land burning and pillaging and slaying we in virginia had heard of two sets of courts in franklin of two sets of legislators but of late the rumor had grown persistently that nalachucky jack was now a kind of fugitive and that he had passed the summer pleasantly enough fighting indians in the vicinity of nickajack cave it was a court day as i rode into the little town of jonesboro the air sparkling like a blue diamond over the mountain crests and i drew deep into my lungs once more the scent of the frontier life i loved so well in the streets currents of excited men flowed and backed and eddied backwoodsmen and farmers in the familiar hunting shirts of hide or homespun and lawyers in dress less rude a line of horses stood kicking and switching their tails in front of the log tavern rough carts and wagons had been left here and there with their poles on the ground and between these piles of skins were heaped up and bags of corn and grain the log meeting-house was deserted but the courthouse was the centre of such a swirling crowd as i had often seen at harrodstown now there are brawls and brawls and i should have thought with shame of my kentucky bringing up had i not perceived that this was no ordinary court day and that an unusual excitement was in the wind 
Tying my horse and making my way through the press in front of the tavern door, I entered the common room and found it stifling, brawling and drinking going on apace. Scarce had I found a seat before the whole room was emptied by one consent, all crowding out of the door after two men who began a rough-and-tumble fight in the street. I had seen rough-and-tumble fights in Kentucky, and if I have forborne to speak of them, it's because there always has been within me a loathing for them. And so I sat quietly in the common room until the landlord came. I asked him if he could direct me to Mr. Wright's house, as I had a letter for that gentleman. His answer was to grin at me incredulously. I reckon you weren't from these parts, said he. Wright's out of town. What is the excitement? I demanded. He stared at me. Nala Chucky Jack's been here, in Jonesboro, young man, said he. What? I exclaimed. Colonel Sevier? Ay, Sevier, he repeated, with Martin and Tipton and all the Caroliny men right here, having a council of military officers in the courthouse. In rides Jack with his frontier boys like a whirlwind. He bain't afeard of em, and a bench warrant out again him for high treason. Never seed such a recklessness. Never had such a jamboree since I kept the tavern. They was in this year room most of the day, and there was five fights before they sat down to dinner. And Colonel Tipton, I said. Oh, Tipton, said he. He ain't afeard neither, but he ain't got men enough. And where is Sevier now? I demanded. How long have you been in town? was his answer. I told him. Well, shifting his tobacco from one sallow cheek to the other, I reckon he and his boys rode out just afore you come in. Mark me, he added, when I tell you there'll be trouble yet. Tipton and Martin and the Caroliny folks is burning mad with Chucky Jack for the murder of Corn Tassel and other peaceful chiefs. But Jack has a wild lot with him some of the nolichucky cave traders and there's one young lad that looks like he was a gentleman once i reckon jack himself wouldn't like to get into a fight with him he's a wild one great goliath he exclaimed running to the door if there ain't a going to be another fight never seen such a day in jonesboro i likewise ran to the door and this fight interested me there was a great black-bearded mountaineer farmer desperado in the midst of a circle pouring out a torrent of abuse at a tall young man that there's hump gibson said the landlord genially pointing out the black-bearded ruffian and the young lawyer feller he's get a judgment agin him he's got spunk but i reckon hump'll tire the innards out of him if he stands there a great while you'll get judgment again me you curl any sprinter will you yelled mr gibson with an oath i'll pay bill wilder the skins when i get ready and all the pinhook lawyers in washington county won't budge me a mite you'll pay billy wilder or go to jail by the eternal cried the young man quite as angrily whereupon i looked upon him with a mixture of admiration and commiseration with a gulping certainty in my throat that i was about to see murder done he was a strange young man with a rare marked look that would compel even a poor memory to pick him out again for example he was very tall and very slim 
with red hair blown every which way over a high and towering forehead that seemed as long as the face under it the face too was long and all freckled by the weather the blue eyes held me in wonder and these blazed with such prodigious wrath that if a look could have killed hunk gibson would have been stricken on the spot mr gibson was however very much alive skin out of here for i kill ye he shouted and he charged at the slim young man like a buffalo while the crowd held its breath i who had looked upon cruel sights in my day was turning away with a kind of sickening when i saw the slim young man dodge the rush he did more with two strides of his long legs he reached the fence ripped off the topmost rail and his huge antagonist having changed his direction and coming at him with a bellow was met with the point of a scatling in the pit of his stomach and mr gibson fell heavily to the ground it had all happened in a twinkling and there was a moment's lull while the minds of the onlookers needed readjustment and then they gave vent to ecstasies of delight great goliah cried the landlord breathlessly he shut him up just like a jackknife awestruck i looked at the tall young man and he was the very essence of wrath unmindful of the plaudits he stood brandishing the fence rail over the great writhing figure on the ground and he was slobbering i recall that this fact gave me a twinge to something in my memory come on hump gibson he cried come on at which the crowd went wild with pure joy witticisms flew thought you was going to eat him up hump said a friend you ain't had your meal yet hump reminded another mr hump gibson arose slowly out of the dust yet he did not stand straight come on come on cried the young lawyer fellow and he thrust the point of the rail within a foot of mr gibson's stomach come on hump howled the crowd but mr gibson stood irresolute he lacked the supreme test of courage which was demanded on this occasion then he turned and walked away very slowly as though his pace might mitigate in some degree the shame of his retreat the young man flung away the fence rail and thrusting aside the overzealous among his admirers he strode past me into the tavern his anger still hot hooray for jackson they shouted hooray for andy jackson andy jackson then i knew then i remembered a slim wild sandy-haired boy digging his toes in the red mud long ago at the waxhall settlement and i recalled with a smile my own fierce struggle at the schoolhouse with the same boy and how his slobbering had been my salvation i turned and went in after him with the landlord who was rubbing his hands with glee i reckon hump won't be crowing round here any more cot days mr jackson said his host but mr jackson swept the room with his eyes and then glared at the landlord so that he gave back where's my man he demanded your man mr jackson stammered the host great jehovah cried mr jackson i believe he's afraid to race he had a horse that could show heels to my nancy did he and he's gone you say a light seemed to dawn on the landlord's countenance god bless you mr jackson he cried you don't mean that young daredevil that was with sevier 
with sevier says jackson ay says the landlord he's been a-fightin with sevier all summer and i reckon he ain't afeard o' nothin any more than you wait his name was temple nick temple they called him nick temple i cried starting forward where is he gone said mr jackson he was going to bet me a six-forty he has at nashborough that his horse could beat mine on the greasy cove tract where is he gone gone said the landlord apologetically nollichucky jack and his boys left town an hour ago is he a man of honor or isn't he said mr jackson fiercely lord sir i only seen him once but i'd stake my oath on it do you mean to say mr temple has been here nicholas temple i said the bewildered landlord turned towards me helplessly who the devil are you sir cried mr jackson tell me what this mr temple was like said i the landlord's face lighted up faith a thoroughbred horse says he such nostrils and such a gray eye with the devil in it for go yellow-haired and as tall as mr jackson here and you say he's gone off again with sevier they rode into town he lowered his voice for the room was filling snapped his fingers at tipton and his warrant and rode out again my god but that was like nollichucky jack say stranger when your mr temple smiled he's the man i cried tell me where to find him mr jackson who had been divided between astonishment and impatience and anger burst out again what the devil do you mean by interfering with my business sir because it's my business too i answered quite as testily my claim on mr temple is greater than yours by jehovah cried jackson come outside sir come outside the landlord backed away and the men in the tavern began to press around us expectantly gallop into him andy cried one don't let him get near no fences stranger said another mr jackson turned on this man with such truculence that he edged away to the rear of the room step out sir said mr jackson starting for the door before i could reply i followed perforce not without misgivings the crowd pushing eagerly after before we reached the dusty street jackson began pulling off his coat in a thrice the shouting onlookers had made a ring and we stood facing each other he in his shirt-sleeves we'll fight fair said he his lips wetting very good said i if you're still accustomed to this hasty manner you have not asked my name my standing nor my reasons for warning mr temple i know not whether it was what i said that made him stare or how i said it pistols if you like said he no said i i'm in a hurry to find mr temple i fought you this way once and it's quicker you fought me this way once he repeated the noise of the crowd was hushed and they drew nearer to hear come mr jackson said i you're a lawyer and a gentleman and so am i i do not care to be beaten to a pulp but i'm not afraid of you and i'm in a hurry if you will step back into the tavern i will explain to you my reasons for wishing to get to mr temple mr jackson stared at me the more by the eternal said he you're a cool man give me my coat he shouted to the bystanders and they helped him on with it now said he as they made to follow him 
keep back i would talk to this gentleman by the heavens he cried when he had gained the room i believe you're not afraid of me i saw it in your eyes then i laughed mr jackson said i doubtless you do not remember a homeless boy named david whom you took to your uncle's house in the waxhaws i do he exclaimed as i live i do why we slept together and you stumped your toe getting into bed and swore said i at that he laughed so heartily that the landlord came running across the room and we fought together at the old field school are you that boy and he scanned me again by god i believe you are suddenly his face clouded once more but what about temple said he ah i answered i come to that quickly mr temple is my cousin after i left your uncle's house my father took me to charlestown is he a charlestown temple demanded mr jackson for i spent some time gambling and horse racing with the gentry there and i know many of them i was a wild lad i repeat his exact words and i ran up a bill in charlestown that would have filled a folio volume faith all i had left me was the clothes on my back and a good horse i made up my mind one night that if i could pay my debts and get out of charlestown i would go into the back country and study law and sober down there was a mr braden in the ordinary who staked me two hundred dollars at rattle and snap against my horse gad sir that was providence i won i left charlestown with honor i studied law at salisbury in north carolina and i have come here to practice it you seem to have a talent said i smiling at the remembrance of the hump gibson incident that's my history in a nutshell said mr jackson and now he added since you're mr temple's cousin and friend and an old acquaintance of mine to boot i will tell you where i think he is where is that i asked eagerly i'll stake a cowbell that sevier will stop at the widow brown's he replied i'll put you on the road but mind you you are to tell mr temple that he is to come back here and race me at greasy cove i'll warrant him to come said i whereupon we left the inn together more amicably than before mr jackson had a thoroughbred horse nearby that was a pleasure to see and my admiration of his mount seemed to set me as firmly in mr jackson's esteem again as that gentleman himself sat in the saddle he was as good as his word rode out with me some distance on the road and reminded me at the last that nick was to race him End of chapter five